Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, Dice's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain tech professionals in a historically tight market, and much more. We have a very special edition of Tech Connects this time around. DICE's latest tech salary report just dropped, and we're talking to Art Zaley, CEO of DHI Group, the parent company of DICE, about the report's takeaways. When it comes to tech professionals and salary, we're in a really interesting moment. For example, the report revealed that average tech salaries trended upwards, increasing 2.3% to $111,000, and yet tech professionals are more dissatisfied with their salaries year over year. What's behind that dissatisfaction? And how can budget crunch companies overcome it if they can't actually offer higher salaries? We'll also dig into layoffs at some of tech's largest companies and how that contrasts with the low tech unemployment rate, the technologies that could define the industry in coming years, the nature of digital transformation, and much more. So let's listen in. So thanks for being on Tech Connects. Again, you were our first guest and now you're our latest guest. Um, And I wanted to start off with, because we're launching the tech salary report, which is this incisive look into everything impacting technology professionals these days in terms of salary skills and so on. Um, and so I guess, I mean, the question sort of on everyone's mind is that we've been seeing massive layoffs at some of the biggest companies in tech and it seems every week, another massive company is announcing cutbacks, Amazon, Meta, Facebook, uh, sorry, Meta and Facebook are now the same, Microsoft and so on. And yet overall tech unemployment remains low. Uh, last month, it was at 1.5%. So it seems that organizations across a variety of industries continue to hire tech pros for all kinds of roles. And yet there's also these massive cuts, and it's a real dichotomy. And what do you think is behind that dichotomy? Well, I would say that in many cases, these larger tech firms, the ones that are announcing layoffs, really kind of um, expanded their teams at a rate that was sustainable during the trends that they saw during the pandemic and the COVID period in general, uh, but really didn't play out uh, during the course of 2022 and 2023. So for example, I believe that Meta itself almost doubled its workforce in one year and then announced a 10% layoff. So if you think about it, even compared to the beginning of the year, the end of the year actually had a large number of people associated with all of their different investments that they're making. And in fact, I would say, um, big picture wise, I think a lot of what is being done right now is a resetting of the investments of these firms. Like, for example, um, Microsoft said that they were laying off people mostly from their HoloLens division. And then Amazon took out people from their drone delivery division. So each one of these companies has their own specific circumstances as to what they want to bet on for the future. And I think that the layoff, the layoffs announced uh, gave them the ability to essentially reset uh, where they wanted to take risk to invest for the future. I will also tell you, mechanically, the reason why we're seeing such low unemployment rates for the tech sector is because if you looked across all these layoffs for uh, 2022 as an example, and use the statistics from layoffs .io, you'd find that in totality, there are about 150,000 people that were affected, which obviously feel bad for everybody that is affected by a layoff. But that's equivalent to almost like the um, one half of one month's worth of job postings last year. So these folks are finding their way to new opportunities or 
They're even um, becoming entrepreneurs. A big theme I think that's happening and playing out right now is that a lot of the divisions that were affected inside of these tech giants were their advanced projects, the ones that were more cutting edge. And that lends itself to a startup culture, you know, people leaving and starting their own business and betting on themselves for the future of the, you know, advanced technologies that they were working on. It's, it seems like an interest to that, to that point. Um, for example, within Amazon, one of the divisions that they, they unfortunately cut a lot of people from was the one that ran Alexa. And I was always under the impression that Alexa was a huge hit. It seems like, I mean, one of my cousins has at least five of those devices in his, in his house, et cetera. But I guess they Amazon had a real problem with monetizing, you know, that that sort of voice activated assistant. And so therefore, you know, when they made that decision to cut, they were focusing on, you know, things that were paying off now, you know, like AWS or so on versus, you know, like you said, like the advanced projects that might not be yielding quite as much monetarily at the moment. I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I'll tell you that I was surprised that they decided to um, diminish their Alexa team because it did seem like it was pretty pervasive in their product strategy. And nevertheless, they got a lot of uh, negative publicity associated with people thinking that they were connecting the data that was being uh, collected by Alexa devices and turning around and using it for their advertising um, on their sites. So ultimately, it is kind of um, unusual, in my opinion, that they made the decision to reduce that team. It probably is due to the fact that the team itself wasn't carrying enough profit or to your point, wasn't um, monetizing their efforts properly. It's the same thing. I mean, with a lot of these companies like Meta and so on, I mean, the, right up until all this started happening, it was that enormous amount of investment in like the metaverse. And I was talking to a lot of both entrepreneurial types and startup people, but also kind of more established developers at larger companies who were talking about how the enormous amounts of money being invested in AR and VR and so on. It seems like a lot of those conversations have sort of dwindled away a little bit as there's been, you know, as you said, there's sort of this retrenching, restructuring and so on. But now you, you can see it. I mean, to your point, I mean, there's sort of like these green shoots, you start seeing more press releases about startups being founded with that talent. So it'll be interesting to see just like after the 2000 or after the dot-com dot com crash, you know, you saw sort of this uptake in startups and so on. I wonder if we're going to start to see that again, especially among, you know, to your point, metaverse, web three, AR, VR, et cetera. I absolutely believe it. I think that it is a trend that is definitely established itself, but there's really no timeline as to when it takes off. And I think that there are problems with it right now. I think, you know, the nature of the hardware that's involved, uh, the capabilities that are available on Horizons, for example, they're lower level. And you always wonder where they're going to reach that critical mass point, that point where something becomes so popular that there's a viral contagion and everybody has to be on it. I think everybody's wondering when that's going to actually occur. What set of capabilities have to really be in place so that everybody feels like they have to be there? And I think it's complex for the metaverse in particular. It's a matter of the equipment, the software, um, the use cases, uh, all those things coming together in one package that makes it compelling. And, and we're not there, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see, though. I mean, I saw a headline today about how we're at the beginning of the smartphone era, or is it the beginning of the smartphone era all over again? Um, in terms of not only this, but also AI and chat GPT with Bing and so on, that we might be at the beginning of a new inflection point. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, who knows? I have to say that it reminds me a lot of um, the 1990s. I was working 
at a software company in the Silicon Valley. The company was doing applications for the Newton 1.0. Now, oh. people don't probably even remember the Apple Newton 1.0, and they poured in a lot of different resources and a lot of attention and time and money, and yet it was before its time to essentially uh, become a product that was important. But it was an important evolutionary step to getting us to the iPhone. Sure. Yeah. No, there's always those stops and starts and so on. Um, so another thing that we noted in the salary report was that average tech salaries trended upwards, increasing 2.3% to around um, 111,000. And yet we noted in the report that tech professionals are more dissatisfied with their salaries year over year, which was, I mean, surprising to me at least. Um, what do you think is driving that dissatisfaction? I mean, why, I mean, why would, why would people be dissatisfied with more money? I mean, so I think that, you know, we did have a salary increase that was historic from 2021 to 2022. The headline that we released in the same report last year was a 6.9% average increase across all categories against all titles, against the skill sets that we were looking at. So coming from 6.9% to 2.3% feels like it's um, maybe more normal, but it certainly is kind of almost a whipsaw effect. I think that a lot of people do are unsatisfied because they believe that they should not be paid on a geographic basis. And that's a big kind of controversy right now, whether or not a person that's working in Whitefish, Montana, should be making the same amount as somebody in the Silicon Valley if they have the equivalent skills and experience. So I think that is a point of kind of disparity and where people are, um, you know, dissatisfied with their compensation. But there are other elements of it. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into this part of the conversation about how these um, tech workers in general look at the flexibility of their work style and other benefits that they're receiving. So I think it, it is a combination package. They're looking at everything. They want the right compensation. They want the right uh, work environment. And they want to have the right uh, company from a mission and culture perspective. And since the unemployment rate, at least by CompTIA's measures of looking at the BLS data for January was 1.5%, uh, it is definitely a seller's market in terms of candidates having the ability to get the um, package that they think is appropriate for their career. Yeah. And, th and that's exactly what I was going to ask, because I mean, not every company is a Microsoft or a Google where you can, you know, afford a quarter million dollars for a data scientist or a software developer. A lot of them are quite budget strapped, especially these days where, you know, the fears of recession are leading companies to, you know, streamline their operational budgets. So I, to your point, I guess it would be the benefits and the flexibility and so on that would allow those companies to compete for talent, right? Or is there another factor involved too? I think it's the combination. And I do believe that there is a disparity in the market expectations around remote and hybrid work. So a lot of our surveys continue to come back saying that technologists believe that they're more productive, they have a better quality of life if they are given remote and hybrid options. And obviously there's a spectrum of, you know, in the office 100% of the time to remote 100% of the time and everything in between, but they want that flexibility. That's what's showing up in the data every single survey. And nevertheless, on the DICE platform as one data point, we're seeing about 35% of our jobs offering remote uh, opportunities. And that's up from less than 2% prior to 
prior to the pandemic. So there's no question that there's been a surge in this opportunity, but there's still a lot of companies, you know, are two thirds that aren't offering that remote capability. And I think that that's holding back a lot of the market. Yeah, it, it's interesting too, because it seemed like kind of in midway through the pandemic or whatever, you had companies like Salesforce that said, you know, you can, you can be all remote, you can be hybrid, you can come into the office, whatever you choose to do. You know, Twitter went all remote, et cetera. And now we're seeing on the part of larger companies, a, a sort of degree of snapback, like Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce just said that, you know, he was afraid for productivity levels, especially among newer hires. And he wanted people back in the office more often. I mean, Twitter, obviously, everyone's back in the office. There's, there's companies like that. Um, and so you you assume that those companies are not so concerned about kind of the talent competition, that they're not the concern that, you know, they're the best and the brightest are going to be snatched away by somebody offering hybrid or, or all remote options. But it also seems like that's what technologists really want. So it's, it's confusing to see how it'll sort out. I mean, I'm not quite sure where it's going. Totally agree. And I think that there was a lot of experimentation. Obviously, there had to be from a work from home environment, early days of the pandemic. But I think a lot of people are now reverting to what they philosophically thought was a highly productive office environment. And it also depends upon kind of the nature of the work that's being done, right? Whether or not it's collaborative, creative, um, requires in-person kind of imagination of the, the extent of the project. I think that also is a dimension that affects a lot of the thinking. There, there are also just industries like the banking industry, kind of famously, that have said, hey, we have always worked this way. We want you to come back to the office. It's not a question of if you have to do it. So I think a lot of it is also philosophical and based on the history of the industries themselves. Do you think, I mean, for those companies that are fearful about the productivity, that they realize, especially smaller ones, where they realize they're in a talent fight, they know that hybrid and remote work is a way to kind of overcome those budget constraints and so on, but they're afraid that if people are, even though people have proven more productive throughout the pandemic, they still have that lingering fear. I mean, how do they deal with that? Is it a question of more monitoring, which people also don't like? Or I mean, what, what do companies do? I think that there is a lot of monitoring, um, yeah. for sure. In fact, I've talked to a few friends of mine who have actually been approached by their HR teams because they, as one example, weren't spending enough time inside of Salesforce. And obviously oh. the implication there is that they weren't updating their accounts and somebody was watching whether or not they were spending a certain amount of time per day or per week inside of their accounts. So I think that that is one of the things that unfortunately is happening. I say unfortunately, because I do believe that, uh, that is a tough culture to enact, one that you're monitoring and almost big brotherish in terms of the actions of your people. But there are companies and there's a lot of sales, there's no question about it, of this monitoring software that's going on right now as a reaction to the work from home environment. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely that dichotomy there. Um, and also, I mean, it, it seems, and this this is kind of more of a productivity question, but I mean, the companies have big plans. I mean, there's digital transformation going on all over the place. There's revolutionary ideas in terms of the metaverse. I mean, the need for technologists is, or technology professionals is stronger than ever in a lot of ways. But we're also heading into this environment where, you know, as we've been talking about, budgets are constrained and so on. So you kind of, on one hand, have the urge to hire by companies, but then on the other hand, you have the urge or the, the need to save money. Um, how does, I mean, how do you think that 
impacts companies in terms of like the rate of hiring? I mean, do they hold off? I mean, how how can companies navigate this where they need the tech talent, but the but they're being constrained? I mean, what 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 do they do? How do they go both in the short and long term? So I think that there is this theme of digitization that is happening at a accelerated rate. There is a great study that was produced by McKinsey early in 2022 that talked about um, the fact that most companies coming out of the COVID era had accelerated their digitization plans by several years on average. And that was because they realized that they weren't online enough. They didn't have enough um, customer experience options that were digital. They, they needed more technology in their business model. Um, what are they doing? I think a lot of people did go through a hiring spree in 2022. In terms of the statistics, we saw a peak in May of 700,000 open tech positions in that one month alone. Now it's kind of receded back to the pre-pandemic level of roughly 250 to 300,000 job openings per month. So it feels pretty normal, but a lot of people had pressure coming out of the pandemic to really accelerate their plans. What are they doing in this kind of environment? Um, when they are very cautious about the economy to come. I think, and the data shows, that we're seeing an upswing in the number of hires in consulting firms and business consulting firms specifically. So think of that as like Accenture or Booz Allen Hamilton or McKinsey. And so an easy way to de-risk um, an unknown future is to essentially outsource part of your digital project effort. And so I do believe that that's happening right now. A lot of people are basically saying, instead of hiring uh, people and, and taking the risk of what that means to my business model in an uncertain year of 2023, let's, what, let's outsource that to a group and monitor that group's productivity very closely. I imagine also, I mean, in addition to the consulting firms and and that whole process, that it, that it seems like that would be also a good environment for freelance tech professionals, people who kind of have their own shingle out there as well, especially if their clients are smaller companies that aren't going to employ IBM or Tata or somebody like that. That's exactly right. And in fact, we've seen over the course of the last decade, an increasing number of people that are effectively gig workers in the tech economy. And in fact, um, the current statistic is roughly between 15 to 20 percent of all tech workers are gig workers. If you drill down below that, in many cases, they are doing side gigs. So they might have a full time job, but they're working on the weekends or at nights on different projects. So it's a little bit murky as to whether or not they're full time gig workers or they're part time gig workers. But I think that's a, a very important trend for the future and one that's more associated with, I'd say, you know, lifestyle considerations for the United States population. Like I, I do think of that in the same vein as folks interested in moving from the coasts to more interesting places inside of the United States where they can take advantage of the lifestyle that it provides to them. Yeah. One thing a couple of months ago, it seemed like there was this this percolation of reports where there was supposedly a geographic flattening happening in the salaries due to remote and hybrid work, or more so remote work, where people living in Colorado or Ohio or whatever were seeing their salaries go up because thanks to that whole new schema, they were competitive with people living in the tech hubs and so on. Um, you know, and do you think, I mean, do you think that that's something that's actually, do you think there is a geographic flattening? I mean, do you think that- I do believe that that's happening right now. Um, we see the migration statistics 
And I think that anybody that's coming out of the Silicon Valley is demanding that they retain the same basic compensation package, uh, but they're obviously getting a completely different rent or mortgage structure or cost of living basis when they move into the United States interior to places like Austin and Charlotte and uh, into Nashville, uh, really interesting new emerging tech hubs. But we believe that they are not getting a uh, downshift in compensation, which was alleged or at least considered early days of the pandemic. Um, but that's not really playing out, in my opinion. Yeah, that really seemed to fade away for a while there. I mean, it was you know, Cisco and Meta and so on were all, you know, you're going to have to take a 20% cut if you move to Salt Lake City or whatever. It really didn't. I mean, in some cases, it seemed like it maybe came to pass temporarily, but it didn't really seem to be a sustainable um, trend. Totally and agree. And I, I think it's also really a factor of the of the history of that concept. It was really the government that established these different geographies and payment schemes based on where you were stationed and or working inside of other aspects of the government beyond the military. And the bigger companies pattern themselves after military and governmental organizations. But now, given that the United States economy is so broad, that that paradigm is just falling down. Um, you have the opportunity to essentially get these remote posi positions and get the salary that's posted irrespective of where you are. Yeah, no, and, and certainly in the, these up and coming tech hubs like the Austins and the Raleigh's of the world and so on, I mean, you definitely do see, you know, I mean, it's not, there's no like depression in, in average salaries or anything like that. I mean, you can make really good money in pretty much any place, um, which is really heartening to tech pros. Speaking of the future, I mean, in terms of this report and then also generally what you're seeing, what are the kind of the emerging skills out there? I mean, we, as we talked about before, I mean, there's a lot of chat about the metaverse, you know, chat GPT and AI and machine learning. I mean, what what are kind of the skills you think that companies and tech professionals are going to be kind of focusing on and need to, to orient towards as we move into 2023 and beyond? I think that there's no question that um, generative AI has struck a nerve and everybody is experimenting with chat GPT at some level inside of the technology world. And so any of those skill sets that are associated with AI, whether that's machine learning, whether that's data science, um, a whole variety of different tool-based skills, those are absolutely hot. And if you think about the fact that the unemployment rate for the tech sector is 1.5%, I would argue that it is zero for that particular skill set. Now, just based on the environment that we live in and how uh, danger it is, dangerous it is from a cybersecurity perspective, all those professions that are associated with cybersecurity, all those skill sets are also extremely hot. Those are trends for the future. There's no question about it. But I would say even you know the basic uh, programming languages like Java, as an example, show up as continuing to be a trend because folks are customizing their code. I mean, that's the bottom line. But if you asked what the super hot areas are to think about for the future. There's no question it's anything that's data and artificial intelligence related as well as cybersecurity. And that's it, folks. Talking with Art was really illuminating. Whether you're a manager trying to hire tech talent or a tech professional looking for a new gig, it's important to know that tech salaries remain robust, but tech professionals want more than just money. Things like benefits and work-life balance matter more than ever, and the companies that work hard to provide those things will have an easier time securing the talent that they need. It's also important to note that demand and hiring remain robust despite those scary headlines around layoffs. During the pandemic, 
Housebound consumers and all remote businesses spent lots of money on cloud services and e-commerce, driving up revenues for many tech giants, which then hired rapidly. But with widespread concerns over a possible recession, those big tech companies are attempting to streamline their operations, lean layoffs. Smaller companies, however, hired more moderately and were more conservative with their budgets, and now many have the funds necessary to hire the talent that they need. As we progress through 2023 and beyond, Keep in mind that in-demand skills such as machine learning will continue to draw superior compensation. For tech professionals, always keeping your skills up to date is a key way to achieve your career and salary goals. We'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.